You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Man, it is great to be back opening the Word with you all. Uh, we really missed you. Uh, in case you're first time, my name is Bill Vecchi. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, my family has been on vacation. And so we had the opportunity to visit some family up in Connecticut. Then we went out to Utah with uh, my in-laws. Uh, and then we were in North Carolina visiting my older sister. And so we had such a great time uh, hanging out with family, visiting, and uh, going kind of to different places in the United States. We realized how beautiful this world is. I mean, there's so many amazing, beautiful places that, that God spoke and they came into being. Um, but throughout all these travels and all the things that we did, one of the things that I was reminded of and that God reminded me of is, is that this world is not our home. And I think often for me, I tend to try to build a kingdom here, if you will. Like, I, I want this place to be somewhat permanent. I want, I want to have all the things that I want. Um, in fact, I think often I strive to build a kingdom, and, and it doesn't necessarily sound all that awful to be, uh, be the king in my world. Um, I know that you can't relate to that. I mean, you don't want to be in control. You don't want to have the final say. You don't want to have everybody bow down to you and worship you. No, okay. Only me. Um, but we were not meant to be the king. And this world is not meant to be our kingdom. And, and as I was reading the word and studying and pressing in with Jesus um, on my time away, I looked at the next five weeks and I was looking at the scriptures that God was gonna bring us to over the next five weeks. And, and there was a theme in all of these. We're transitioning out of the Psalms, moving into a, a few other uh, passages of scripture um, but for the next few weeks, we're still in the Psalms, and, and we've been looking at this idea of God being unsearchable, that he has all these amazing attributes, and he's far bigger than anything that we can imagine. Like We really can't wrap our minds around how big God is and how awesome he is and how powerful he is. And then over the next five weeks, what I really want us to look at is that, that he is the king, and that if you submit to him as your king, then you're a part of his kingdom. And so that's what we're going to be exploring. And so for today, we're going to see that Jesus is the victorious king. He is the victor. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus as the victor. And so we're going to be in Psalm 116. Let me pray for us um, so that we can refocus our minds. And then we're going to jump in. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to sit before you, sit with you, with brothers and sisters, friends, families, coworkers, and even some people that we don't know yet. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir in us something new, something fresh, something real. Meet us here. Help us to understand that you are the victor. You have already won. And let us celebrate your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. So on June 16th of this year, I'm oh sorry, June 18th, there was a submersible Titan that went to explore the Titanic. And so I don't know if you've followed this story in the news. Um, people lost their lives in this. It was a, a tourist submarine 
that, that submersible that was going down just to look at and explore the wreckage of the Titanic. And it exploded, imploded, because of the pressure that it was facing. And I think sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around what was going on there and why this would happen, but this is 12,600 feet under the ocean. That's 2.4 miles. I mean, that's, that's pretty far deep. And to put it, put it into perspective, at sea level, like right now, we, Florida, Fort Myers, we're at sea level. Okay, at sea level, there's about 15 pounds of pressure per square inch. You ever hear the term PSI? You know, you have to fill up your tires or your bike tires. That's pounds per square inch. So at sea level, we're at, we're, we're feeling about 15 pounds of pressure per square inch. Down by the Titanic, it's over 6,000 pounds per square inch. That's 400 times what we're feeling right now, that kind of pressure. And why is this? Because, because water has weight. And I don't think that we wrap our minds around how much water weighs, but Jay, why don't you come on up? Um, so these bottles are around 16 ounces. Does anybody know, where are my scientists at, how much 16 ounces weighs? A pound. Good job. Uh, we're a science class now. So one pound, that's what this is. So this is Jay. Everybody say hi to Jay. Uh, all right, Jay, can you come over here? I want you to get him into a push-up position. I know you're getting old. Whatever, man. All right, so I think Jay can do this for quite a while. So I'm going to finish my sermon, and he's going to sit here. Um, but, but what about if it wasn't just that? What if it, no, no, see? Still, oh, no, I'm not done with you yet. What if... So 40 bottles, 40 pounds. What about this? All right. Um, let's give Jay a hand. Water has weight. I mean, I don't think we actually think about water. I mean, when you jump in a pool, you're floating often because of buoyancy and all these laws of physics and stuff. But Water has weight, and, and when you're going down, you're displacing water, but that water is still pressing in on you. Same is true with sin. Sin has weight. And often, I think, in our minds, we end up like trying to separate it and segregate it and just say, you know, oh, lying. And we, we pull out one little thing, and it's not that bad. But what we don't realize is that our world has been infected by sin, and it's pressing in on us in every moment, in every season, and, and this is twofold. Sin is not just something, in, like, sin is external and internal. The world is filled with sin, so we live in a sinful world, and so things like COVID and economics and finances and disease and heartache and pain and death and broken relationships, all of that is pressing in on us externally. But then the second part is internal. We have sin that forms and is birthed inside of us that's just waiting to burst out. 
And so our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance and our thinking that we know best, better than everybody else at least around us, I mean, that just flows out of us. So that's why when we talk about marriage, we say, you're not bringing in 50-50 sin. You're bringing in 100%, 100% sin. So now you just got double sin. I live in a house of five women. Guess what? We have 600% sin in our house. Yeah, I included myself in that. Why? Because we live in a sinful world, and we are sinners. It's not always like this. God created the world in perfect harmony. We see in the beginning of Genesis that he created, he spoke. He created everything that we see. And what did he say? He saw that it was good. But that's not what we're seeing here. Look look at verses 1 through 4. Listen to the anguish and the pain and the hurt that the author is saying here. Many commentators would say that this was King David. Others would say that it was a different author, but... But listen to what they're experiencing. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. You ever feel that? You ever feel like death is just encompassing you? The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. The depths of darkness. I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. You ever find yourself in a situation like that? A situation where you're just crying out to the Lord, help me, help me, Lord. You know, ever since Adam and Eve, all that God made that was good was infected by this flood of sin. So what is sin? Now, I'm not not saying that we name sins. Because I think when we start to like go through and say, oh, what sins do you think? Or what, what, what are sins that you, things that you consider sin? I think that can very quickly become very relative. And I think here's why. Because we have what Paul Tripp calls great inner lawyers. Do you have one of those? I have a great inner lawyer that every time I'm doing something questionable, maybe let's call it the gray zone that that inner lawyer comes up to defend me. Oh, it's not that bad. Like, that's not, well, you're, you're justified in it because, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, there's, there's like things like, um, like if you're, if, is it a st- sin to steal if your kid is dying and you have no other choice? Is that really a sin? I mean, it says thou shalt not sin, pretty definitive, but your kid is dying. You have no other choice. You ha- what about when your spouse walks in? And they say, hey, do I look fat? Thou shalt not lie. But here's the deal. That inner lawyer comes up, and I know that that's a really silly example. But we justify ourselves all the time. I justify myself all the time. So let's define sin. I love how John Piper defines it. This is what he says. Sin is any feeling or thought or action that comes from a heart 
that does not treasure God over all other things. He goes on to say it's a heart that prefers anything above God. I mean, this is why when when Jesus is pressed, he says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Why? Because this is an idolatry issue. I treasure myself. Okay, I'm alone again. All right, I'm just talking to a room of people that are really perfect. I treasure myself. I want what I want when I want it. And then there are things in my life, like my wife, my kids, my stuff, that I begin to treasure more than God. Money. I mean, we could go, the list can go on and on. I'm so gray because people are trying to debate the thing, but they're not talking about the heart. They're not talking about, are you treasuring this thing that you've lifted up on this pedestal that you've made an idol over God? I mean, I can go through and name a billion of them, but, I mean, cohabitation, homosexuality, drinking, the use of CBD, marijuana, tithing. I mean, we can go on and on about what people think and what they believe and how they've interpreted what they want it to say. But ultimately, what it comes down to is our heart. We begin to treasure us and those around us higher than what God says and who God is. And so why does this matter? Well, sin is any action, any feeling, any thought that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over anything. If your opinion, ideals, desires trump God and his word, guess what? That's sin. So think about just the singular act way back in Genesis where the original sin came to be. Eve ate a piece of fruit. I don't know about you, but I love fruit. I eat apples, oranges, peaches, plums. I especially love when the plums are red on the inside. Um, I love cherries. Like, I, I love fruit. The act of eating fruit is not a sin. So then why was that the original sin? I think it was to show us that it's about the heart, not about the action. What she did in that very moment was she disobeyed God. And she said, what I want is at a higher value than what God has said. And so all of a sudden, we're in this, can I say, cesspool of relativism and um, kind of just going to where, uh, it's very easy to find a camp of people that believe what you want to believe. Like, if you really think that, oh, I, I want to believe this line of thought, you can go. I mean, we have all of this information that's available to us. So you Google it. You say, is it okay if I do this? And you can find someone that has tagged themselves as Christian that is championing this thing that you want to give yourself to. You can go do that. That does not mean that they are Christian. That does not mean that they submit to God's word. 
does not mean that he is the king and it does not mean that they're living in his kingdom. Because often in every single one of those camps, what they are doing is they're lifting that thing up above God. They've made that the issue, not God. Not our hearts, not treasuring him above all else. And so sin has encompassed us. It has surrounded us. It has crushed us. And so that's what we're seeing, that the world will crush me. That's what we're seeing in verses 1 through 4. We see this author pouring his heart out and saying, I am in anguish. In verse 8, for you have delivered my soul from death, tears, stumbling. They are going through a really hard time. And I know, as I look around this room, because I know a lot of you, that we are either in a really hard season, we are coming out of a really hard season, or going into a really hard season. And at some point, teens, look at me for a sec. You're going to experience this. Your parents are trying to protect you so much from you experiencing the heartache and the pain of this world. I know your parents. They're, they're trying really hard to protect you from these things, but they can't. The world will crush you. Here's the second thing we see, that we need help. I need help. I cannot survive on my own. And that's why the author, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his hurt, in the midst of his brokenness, is crying out outside of himself. Culture is going to say, pull up your bootstraps. Culture is going to say, you can do it. Try harder. Be better. That's what, that's what the people around you are going to say. Suck it up. But the Bible is saying, no, 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 no. Cry out for help. Look at verses one through four again. He's, he's saying, he has heard, God, he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. You know how somebody hears the cry for something? When you actually cry out. When you make it vocal. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. He's talking about these death and, and darkness just swarming him. Stress, anguish. And what does he do? Verse 4, I called on the name of the Lord and I pray, deliver me. I mean, listen to the psalmist's tone. I'm helpless against the pressure of sin. So I cry out for God and guess what? God comes. Um, Maya recently, Maya's my five-year-old, and she recently got into this pattern where uh, she, she can now shower on her own, which is actually, as a parent, like when the last kid that's growing up in your house can, can like bathe themselves. I mean, that's like a big deal. Like you can say, hey, hit the showers, right? And they go, and, and um, but she got into this thing. She's playing in the shower for what seems like forever, and then, and then all of a sudden I'll be, you know, you're keeping an ear, you know, you want to make sure that she's okay and that she's not going to get hurt or whatever. And then without fail, every time, dad, come quick, dad, come quick. And so what do I do? After that, I jump up and I run. And no joke, like I'm not fabricating this. She's standing there, shower off, like this freezing cold, all wet. And she's like, I need a towel. And her towel's sitting right in front of her. Like before she got in the shower, I made sure I threw it right by the entrance of the shower. And she's sitting there, she's like, I'm cold, I need a towel. I'm like, it's right there. But what does she want? She wants her dad to come and get the towel and wrap her up and hold her and keep her safe. Often that towel is just right there, but often it feels like it's miles away. And in any situation, 
What does God desire and want? What do we need? We need to cry out for help. And God, what does it say? Inclines his ear, hears us. I mean, this, this cry is so countercultural. You're the only one in your life that doesn't realize that. We need help. The church, listen to me on this. The church is a group of people coming together, crying out, help. Like, like turn to your neighbor and ask the question, like, do you need help? I mean, I, I hope that the answer would be yes. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, can I pray for you or something? No, no, I'm good. That's not what the church is. We are a group of people banded together because we've recognized that I need help. And I love what Tim Keller says on this in his book on prayer. He says, if I am in denial about my own weakness and sin, there will be a concomitant blindness to the greatness and glory of God. There is no greater example of this than Isaiah, who when he was given a vision in the temple of the holiness of God, said immediately in response, Woe to me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And it was because he had seen the King in a new way that he saw himself in a new way. They must go together. If we are not open to recognition of our smallness and sinfulness, we will never take his greatness and holiness. The world will crush me. I will need help. If we don't understand this, if we don't understand that we need help, I don't understand that I need help, then I'm never going to understand the cross. I'm never going to understand Jesus. I'm never going to understand the church. But here's the good news. God will save me. Look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I love the three attributes that we see right there in verse 5. Gracious, righteous, merciful. I want to talk to the crowd in the room that believes that they're the t too sinful crowd. I cross them all the time. We were hanging out at a place last night where we were, we were sharing the gospel with some people, and their response was, if we walk in that place, then it'll fall down. It'll burn down. And we often have that mentality. Why do, why do I know that? Because guess what I don't want to do when I have some kind of a sin crushing me in my life? I don't want to come here. 
I mean, we often miss weeks and weeks and weeks and months of church because we think everybody's looking at us because they know what's going on. It's like there's a video camera walking us around, walking around with us. And so when people look at you and they like have just like a, like a serious look on your face, you're like, oh, they know what I did. Well, hopefully that's the conviction of the Spirit in your life. But, but God will save you. But the two sinful crowd, the ones that say, oh yeah, I have a past, Jesus came for you. Period. There is nobody in the entire world that is too sinful. There is nobody in your life, you, ever, you have those people in your life where you're thinking about like, oh, I want to share the gospel with them, but they're, they're too, too lost. That doesn't exist. Nobody's too lost. God is gracious and merciful and righteous. And because he is righteous, that's why he sent Jesus. And then in verse 2, he says, he inclines his ear to me. God is listening for broken people to repent and cry out help. And who will he save? Verse 6. What's, what's the word that he says? Who will he save? The simple. You know what that word translates to? Childlike. Those that cannot accomplish anything on their own. Verses 12 and 13, I love when, when the author's saying this, he's like, so what do I offer back to him who has given me life, who has saved me? What do I offer back to him? The cup of salvation. Wait, what? You're giving him back the thing that he's given you because you have nothing else to offer. It's like my kids buying me a birthday present with my money. Look, Dad, look what I got you. Oh, yeah, how much did that cost me? But is that my attitude? I love it. I love it. Why? Because it's their heart. So what does the author say? This is what I offer back to you, God. Here's my salvation. And I'm going to worship you for it. I'm going to praise you for this. I'm going to thank you for this. Because this is all I've got to offer. Nothing more. Is your beautiful salvation. God will save me. Jesus gave up his life to give us life, to give it back to him because it was already his. And here's the reality. Just look at me for one sec. You're gonna mess up. Just need to let you know that. You're gonna leave here and you're gonna do something wrong. You're gonna experience fear and anxiety. Sin will try and crush you. Just like we saw right here, the weight is no longer yours to carry. And it's not just God picking off one sin at a time and just like, you know, saying, hey, you know, feel the weight of that. Feel the, like, no, 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 no. He goes and he takes the entirety. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> he takes the entirety of everything that we will ever experience. It's not just the current moment of what we're experiencing. It's what we are going to experience from birth all the way through till we die. He takes all of it and pulls it onto himself. Every sin, every hurt, every pain, he has taken from you for his glory and his name. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. 
Praise God that our feelings don't dictate the power and the the mightness of God. Why? Because he has already won the battle. He has already won the victory. So when you're going into a really hard time, when you're experiencing an overwhelmed season of sin, addiction, pain, hurt, sickness, you can remember that God has already won the victory. How do I know that? Because he died on the cross for your sins. This world is not our home. We will experience different things. We will have different feelings. You can see that in the psalm. The psalmist is not void of feeling. But he's remembering over and over and over again that this world is not my home and I have a king that is bigger than all these things. God will save you. So what do we do with this? So here's our response, and this is the response that we see here in verse 9. And I love this because this is such a beautiful uh, picture for me to walk out of this place with. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. You know, before the Lord seems to me like when I was when I was thinking about this in my mind. I'm a visual person. Anybody else feel visual? So I was thinking about like being in the desert and like God's behind me somewhere. I'm just walking before him. That word, you know what that word before means? The literal translation, the literal translation is face. Face. In other words, face to face. I will walk in the land of the living face to face with God. How beautiful would life be if the perspective that we had day in and day out is the face of Jesus? If we filtered everything in our lives, everything in our lives through the lens that he has already saved us, he has already won the victory. Imagine if every problem and sickness and pain and broken relationship and hurt and financial issue that you get yourself in, if you're walking into every single one of those things face to face with Jesus, all of a sudden the problem is not as magnified and your God is what is magnified. Keep your focus on Jesus, the victor. He knows what you're dealing with. He's already won. He has secured your salvation. And for those of you that are coming in here today who do not believe that Jesus is your king, I am so thankful that you're here. We love having you here today. And today is the day of salvation. Jesus is inviting you to trust him and make him your king. Believers, As you leave this place today, all the weight and the pain that you're carrying is not yours to carry. You need to lay that at the feet of Jesus. He has already won the victory. You may not know or experience the fullness of that victory until death, until you're with him in eternity. You may not have all the answers to the questions that you're asking here on earth but stay face to face with Jesus keep him in front of you 
at all times. Filter every problem, every hurt, every pain. Walk before the Lord, face face to face, in the land of the living, where we are right now. Because he has already won the victory. He has won it for you. He has won it for me. He has won it for his church, his bride. And every man, woman, and child that are outside these walls need to know that good news. They need to know that all of that stuff that they're dealing with, the same stuff that you're dealing with, that there's an answer. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I try so hard. I try so hard to carry my own weight. I don't want to be a burden on anyone. I don't want to have people deal with my stuff. But that's not what your word says. Your word says that I am a part of a family that I could come to and experience your mercy and your grace and your righteousness. So God, I pray that we would be a people that trust in the victory of Jesus as our victor and that we would walk face to face with you in the land of the living. Praise the Lord for you are great to be praised.